Aloha. It's so good to see all of your smiling faces again. And I love those hymns. I grew up singing a lot of them in my old church, and I'm glad that you all have a love for them as well. And just to check on one thing, the video looks good? Excellent. See, Pastor Tony can learn new things. <laughs> and he's actually quite good at it. <laughs> well, there's only one thing for him to do was zoom in the camera, but don't take that away from him. <laughs> but I... <laughs> Sorry to get you a little sidetracked there, but... <laughs> It's so great to be able to be back with you. And just to think, in only a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating Easter. And it's going to look so different than it did last year. We all remember that, right? You were all at home. I am so glad that we're getting back to the way things used to be, even though for me this is new to do it in a different church. I, every other time I've done Easter, it's either been at home in my home church or some desert in the middle of nowhere. I don't know why every Easter in the Marine Corps I was in some desert in the middle of nowhere. God just wanted it that way, I guess. But there's something good about the church calendar where we have these times that we specifically come back to certain passages of Scripture. Times that said that even though we have heard these stories before, these particular passages, it's always good to hear them again. And even outside of the church calendar of Easter, it's good to hear some of the same passages again. And it reminded me when I was reading this passage because I saw not only this time, but I can remember each time I read a set passage of Scripture, even in this weekly, in this daily reading of working through the Bible throughout the course of a year, I have read many of these passages before, but I am still seeing new things even to this day. And it wasn't as if that wasn't there before. The text has always been there. It's just now I have come to a new understanding of it. And it reminds me in a lot of ways of, from the 1987 film, The Princess Bride. Good movie, funny. <laughs> There's a particular character in it, and from the title, you may have already guessed where I'm going to be going with this. <laughs> but name, <laughs> yep, name Vizzini, where he is hired to kidnap the princess, Buttercup, funny name, but, and basically to have her killed to frame another country in her murder so that a war can be started. And throughout the entire process of him trying to kidnap her and take her away, our hero continues to follow and pursue them. And at every twist and turn, when, he, when this man, Vizzini, who is a Sicilian, who prides himself on his intellect that he is way smarter than everyone else who has ever lived. He, in fact, calls Plato, Socrates, morons in comparison to him. That at every twist and turn that he thinks he has gotten the best of his pursuer, and the pursuer is still there, he utters the phrase, inconceivable. It is utterly impossible that these actions I am taking to prevent this man from following, that he should still be following me. It, defies the very logic of reality. And at one point, one of his henchmen, who turns hero later on in the film, Indigo Montoya, the Spaniard swordsman, accurately points out, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and in many ways, this does also describe our view of scripture or our understanding of it. 
The text has always been there. The facts have always been there. But at some point in our life, when we were lost, or even as we come to a better understanding of the Scriptures because of the Holy Spirit and because of God working within us, what was once inconceivable now becomes understandable. The blessings of Scripture, at one point we may have said, though, that is an inconceivable thing. There is no way that could possibly be true. In fact, look at how the lost views God and views Scripture. God is either the divine boogeyman waiting just around the corner for you to screw up, so there, now I can smite thee. Or he is the divine Santa Claus. He's waiting until the end of your life and checks up the good things you did, the bad things you did, and if you're on the nice list, you get to go to heaven. If you're on the naughty list, well, you kind of know what's going on there. But, but as we have come to a deeper understanding of Christ in our own lives, we know this not to be true. True, he is going to judge, but according to his standards, not the standards that we have concocted for him. And that is why we are going to be looking at this particular passage of Ephesians. And we could dwell on any number of blessings that we are going to see in this particular passage. And it's going to be Ephesians 1, 7 through 14 that we are going to be looking at today. But sometimes, like the church calendar where we review particular passages of scripture, we're going to re-review we're going to review this one as well. And look at the broad strokes. Because in these seven verses alone, and not all inclusive, you might find more blessings than I did. But just the broad strokes of it, there are nine unique blessings that we are going to be looking at in this particular passage. So follow along with me. And this is from Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 14. And it is recorded there. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, in him. In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, that we who first turned in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you, have, you also trusted, after you heard the, heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Now in this passage, like I said, there are at least nine blessings that we can find. You might find more because there might be ones that personally relate to you that you take as a blessing. 
but there's at least nine that broadly applies to all Christendom. And these are divided roughly into two categories. The first two come to us from verse 7, and we're going to tackle both of these a little bit at once. In verse 7, it tells us the first blessing we have. In him, we have redemption. And likewise, we have forgiveness of sins. Now, it's important that we dwell on these two first, because without these two, we have no understanding of the others that follow. Like the world has their preconceived notion of who God is, the divine boogeyman, the divine Santa, until they come to an understanding of Christ because of these two particular blessings, and they have no hope of understanding what is to follow. The lost are spiritually dead, as we have heard in both our Sunday school class and other times and other sermons, that without an understanding of God, without the life that he brings, that life that I talked about three weeks ago, that on the cross, more than those six hours, but the days leading up, the attack to his honor, his office, his name, that he endured as our redemption. And not only is it a redemption of one where we might think of the forgiveness of sins or the forgiveness under the law, our contemporary culture might, of, well, you've been found guilty, but I am withholding sentence. No, that sentence was carried out, paid with blood. That's what we covered three weeks ago at the communion service. Those addition, beyond the six hours, the extreme lengths that Christ went to to purchase you personally from your depraved state. And the forgiveness is not forgiveness as we as humans have come to understand it, where we may have systems that go, we have expunged your record. But as we all know, there's, with the internet, there's always a record of everything everywhere. But as God describes forgiveness, it's as if he, it never happened. He tells us that our sins are as far as away from us as the East is from the West an infinite distance, that he will forgive our sins. And in these two promises, I really must emphasize the need for all of us to turn to Christ. Because without Christ, what I'm going to say next may not, may not bring, uh, get a little tongue-tied there, sorry. <laughs> Why? the following blessings that he tells us, we may be left wondering what they are. But the next, we ha that's why we put the emphasis on these two blessings and why Paul put the emphasis here at God's leading, that first you must come to know Christ and then the other promises that follow will start to make sense. The next blessing comes to us. Let's see. I should have really wrote down what verse that was comes to oh no wonder I'm looking on the wrong page okay yes in verse 9 he describes the next blessing one of the first blessings that requires a knowledge of Christ his personal indwelling in you by the Holy Spirit in which he describes to us that he will make known to us the mystery of his will make known to us the mystery Interesting way of putting it. Does that mean we will have all knowledge? That we will have all perfect understanding? 
This is not a mystery as in one those crime dramas or mystery murder theaters where we have the evidence, we know a crime has been committed and now it's up to us to piece everything together to form the perfect story of what happened. God here is telling us that we will have knowledge of the mystery. In fact, Ephesians 3, the entire chapter, Paul goes at lengths to explore this mystery. But he tells us up front, the mystery is how both Jew and Gentile can come to know God as their Savior. How slave, free, Jew or Greek, Hawaiian, American, we all can come to God. And that mystery is one that will that is slowly being revealed more to us or our, we have a better understanding of it. But if you want the exact mechanism of how his blood in an exact physical sense alters me somehow to make me this new creature, I can't give you the exact law of physics that says it does thus. The Bible tells me that the one who created the laws of physics tells me it works. Mystery is he tells us the end result and how to get there. But if you want the exact mechanism, that is also a leap of faith. The blessing therein is we are told of what, our, what the eventual ends will be and that the one in charge promises us that it will work. The next one promise, the next blessing that we have from this passage comes to us in verse 11, where he tells us, sorry, no, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. A promise then to gather us together, to gather his children together, and his promise that he will rule. And I find that very encouraging. Because do we have a perfect form of government right now? <laughs> have we ever? No. But God promises one that will be perfect, where it's not a candidate where I go, well, I agree with 80% of what he does, or I don't really agree with him, but a lot better than the other guy. But a perfect ruler. In fact, in Colossians 1, verses 16 through 18, it describes this particular ruler as well. And it says there in Colossians 1:16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. In him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. The one who created all the world, who has perfect understanding, himself is the one who will administer rule over it. And from that same chapter in verse 20 of Colossians, it, it, this promise is repeated. And by him, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, 
having made peace through the blood of his cross. Once again, we're going back to that promise, back to that very first blessing that we are told of, that redemption through his blood, his kingdom, will be established through his blood, through Christ's act upon the cross. Not some revolution as we have come to see them, violent overthrow through some idea that we have, but through Christ's very own act will his kingdom be established. We are... There's, we could just dwell on any one of these number of promises and go at length, but sometimes it is good to have that reminder, the broad brush strokes of his scripture, to see all of his promises together, because if this overwhelms you, it should, because we are so unworthy of all these promises, all these blessings that he has shown upon us. We see then now, in verse 11, how we have obtained an inheritance. And once again, this is not an inheritance as you may be particularly used, that you are used to in your terms, where after the death of someone, you receive their belongings and the government takes 50%. We are told, because we know that God is eternal, God is not going to die, so then how is this inheritance beneficial to me? We are told though, that there are others who share this. Romans 8.17, I'm just going to refer to it, tells us how we are joint heirs in Jesus Christ. This inheritance then not only imply, when we think of it, implies the relationship of what God wants to have with us. That you are not only, that you are not one who is just merely worthy of his charity, but he is investing within us that you are worthy to take part of his kingdom, that you are considered joint heirs along with Christ, that what he has built his kingdom for is not what, you're not an employee who he pays out a fee. You're not some charity case. You are someone that he loves personally and personally wants you involved in part of his kingdom. When his, that should be a good, that should tell us a lot about the character of God when he says that you have an inheritance. You are valued to the one who created all of this. Not only have you been given an inheritance, but he tells you only two words later that you were predestined. Now this is one of those words that even today, there are so many groups that have fights over what this particular word means and how it affects Scripture. And just in the most basic of terms, we can settle on some universal truths that we believe as Christians. God is all-knowing. God can see the entirety of time all at once and have perfect understanding of what has taken in the past and what will be taking place in the future. So when God made those decisions... When God decided to send his son to die on the cross those thousands of years ago, he was thinking of you in that very moment. In fact, he tells us that he knows so much more about us than we can even understand. In Psalms 139, verse 13, once again, I'm referring to it, but if you want to look it up, many of you know this verse, how God described how the psalter describes how God made him in his mother's womb before he was even known. 
and how in our Sunday school lesson earlier today, there was, the speaker referred to the parable of the sheep and the goats. And when you look at that, how Jesus commended the sheep because when he was downtrodden, when he was sick, when he was hungry, they cared for him. And likewise, the goats did not. And when it really get down to it, it was the sheep did not care about their person. They saw someone in need and cared for them, whereas the goats were more concerned with their appearance of righteousness. When God looks at you, he doesn't look at you as society looks at you. He sees your heart and the deeds that you have done, not your appearance as society values you. He, when we are predestined, it tells us of a relationship that God knows you better than anyone else could possibly. And through this, he has decided to call you. That should be a blessing to all of us. And then we come to a big one. And if we skip ahead a couple of verses, we see by this is promised in verse 13, the gospel of your salvation. And this is a big one. That gospel that has come to us. And when you study the history of, this, of the Bible, how it was preserved as a text, it defies all logic. When you consider some of the works, say, of the great Greek philosopher Socrates Plato, how those were compiled from a fragment of a text of what we believe to be the works of Plato or Socrates over a thousand years after their death. Whereas the Bible was assembled into its current form only 300 years after Christ lived from hundreds of thousands of completed documents. And since that time, it has been kept in this same form, although translated in different languages. And even as much as, what was it, the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered 60, 80 years ago, confirm the authenticity, the accuracy of Scripture, that we have all this evidence pointing to how, even as a textual source, that this defies any other historical document in the amount of evidence that supports its existence. Not only that, but this is the one authoritative document that we use. There's, I assure you there's not some Bible part two waiting in the background that now that you've accepted Christ and paid your dues, that now we are going to unseal Bible part two for you. The text is all here. It's always been here. But remember, those inconceivable blessings. At one point, you were spiritually blind. But now your eyes have been opened. Now you can see the fullness of his gospel. Not only do we have the gospel, but we're coming to some of the more most important ones now. He tells us further on, and this is a two-parter, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And not only are we sealed, this is our proof, our guarantee of our inheritance. And for those of you who are children of God, the Holy Spirit is evident in your lives. You have come to a better understanding of his word. He speaks to you in a way that before you were lost, that you were unable to respond to God. But now with the Holy Spirit, we have the proof. We have the seal. Not some sort of brand tattoo, 
Costco membership card, members only jacket, that says we are Christians, but a personal relationship that God struck up with you when Christ died for you. And not only is this evidence of itself, but it is our guarantee, our proof, our receipt, as it were, to put it in language that more of us understand or use today, of what these other blessings that he has promised us have either taken place or will take place in the future. And then finally we come to, his, to one of the last blessings of this particular passage we're going to look at in the broad strokes of all of this. And it ends here, to the praise of his glory. Now you may be wondering, how is God's glory a blessing? Well, beyond just what it, God's glory, but if you read back and look through these, particular blessings. Note that they're more often than not paired with a particular act or deed that God has done on our behalf. That our redemption is in His blood. Forgiveness of sin from the riches of His grace. Our inheritance comes from Him. All these blessings are derived from His glory. That God's glory by, by being exalted are the origin of these other blessings. And while I was reading a particular commentary, I believe it was J. Vernon McGee, how he was describing that the riches being paid out, I mean, that the forgiveness of sins according to the riches, not out of his riches. This is not a rich man paying 10 cents out. This is a man who, as he was describing it, but as if someone, as if Bill Gates were buying something and paid out millions of dollars because he was exceedingly rich. God is paying out exceedingly, as it were. It's not some sort of charity, but remember, inheritance. You're included within this. Within all these blessings, it's good for us to focus on the broad strokes sometimes. It's always fun to dive down into the deep details, but oftentimes, it is just as important to overwhelm the senses, as it were, because we might become conceited in our own thoughts sometimes, but when overwhelmed with such evidence of God's overwhelming blessing, I don't know about you, but I feel completely unworthy. But then again, but God chose me in my unworthiness. And... I was actually going to make this point earlier, but I included a quote then in your bulletins from a man, Henry Opukuhaya, in which he says, he talks about the blessings, and I'm going to get why it's, this is a particular striking quote from him, where in one of his letters he writes to one of his missionary friends in the area, set your heart towards Christ, and in him you may find help. Our sins are very great and reach over our heads, and there is nothing which can make them smaller or stop them but the precious blood of the Lamb of God, who has the power to take away sin from the world. The Lord Jesus expressed himself thus, that I speak in righteousness, mighty to save. 
that man is recorded as be, as far as history knows, is the one of the is the first Hawaiian who came to Christianity. He's also our first missionary. When he came to America, he was burdened not only for the people of his homeland, but the loss that he found here, and he became the first Hawaiian missionary to America. I find that very interesting. But this particular letter that he wrote from was mere months before his death. He was plagued by, by disease and was taken at, he died somewhere around the age of 18 to 26. We're unsure of the exact date of his birth. But even at the end of his life, he had plenty to complain about. How he was born to an impoverished class. He was destined to be a slave to a foreign, to the god of his nation that he knew was false. But when he heard of God, it broke him down to tears to see all these blessings. How he considered himself so unworthy that God would care about a tiny island nation out in the middle of nowhere. And this year, next month, marks 201 years since the Bible had come to the shores of my people. But the heart that he had, that even in his death, knowing that he would never be able to return home in this life, that he saw the goodness of God, that he was continually overwhelmed with the blessings of Scripture that were revealed towards him, and he had a heart that demanded that he share it with everyone who was around him. These blessings now I share with you it is my hope that you are overwhelmed with them, that you view the world around you and, and see the lost, and how they may come to have a view of God that it's inconceivable that God is someone who cares for them. God, it's inconceivable that they say that God could love them. But you know, that word doesn't mean what they think it means. <laughs> because it is not inconceivable. It becomes knowable, revealed, once you are a child of God. And you discover more and more that it's not just some simple wiping the slate clean, some par divine pardon, as it were, but redemption, that Christ paid that very cost. That Christ now calls each of you individually, both to forgiveness and to service within, his, within the ministries that, of which he has placed you. It may not be up here on a pulpit, although it'd be amazing someday if some of these young kids would go out of your church as a missionary in the future, maybe as a pastor, maybe as a deacon, maybe as some other purpose. But God has called each of us individually. And he has overwhelmed us with so many blessings from his holy word. And I look forward to seeing what God has planned for each and every one of you. In addition to what he has planned for me. I thank you for this time that we could have in his word. This challenge here. And before we come to the final psalm that we have today, as we focus on our blessings in that particular psalm, let us close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much 
because there is so much we have to be thankful for. And Lord, sometimes it is just as simple as that. In just this opening passage of the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians where he expounds upon all these blessings and even more. You, bur- you laid the burden on his heart to reveal to them, to strengthen once again the blessings of your holy word and how you have chosen us, Lord, how you have uniquely blessed us and how you wish not to condemn us, Lord, but to make us part of your family. And Lord, I ask that you work on the hearts of all of us and especially the lost, Lord. And to know that it is never too late to turn to you. And Lord, if anyone is still wondering, if anyone wants to know these blessings, Lord, and but to them in their mind, blessings are inconceivable. Lord, help us minister to those. Help us reach their hearts, Lord, to know that you are not just the divine divine Santa Claus or the divine boogeyman, Lord, but you are our Father. You are one who will rule us, Lord. You are the one in all perfection have chosen us. And Lord, we do thank you so much that our words cannot express. And Lord, keep us safe this week. Lord, keep us focused on you, Lord. Reveal to us more of your word, Lord. Let us never lose our burden to reach the lost. Lord, we can thank you so much for your mercy and grace and all the blessings that you have shown upon us. And this we pray in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.